Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 78 of Comic Book Nation, the official podcast of comicbook.com. I am your host, Kofi Outlaw, and with me today I have my co-host, Matthew Aguilar. What up? Oh, he's kind of... We don't know if you're going to be here for long today. You're kind of having <laughs> internet problems. Felt like we just even had a lag right there, but uh, we have you now, and, uh, and I'm happy about that. So we're going to make good use of this time. If there's anything I've learned in 2020, it's time is precious, so we're going to use this wisely. Uh, moving right along, today with us is Mr. Connor Casey's back again. Matt, if you've got grenades, now is the time. <laughs> <laughs> toss them and leave. <laughs> toss them and leave, yeah. Just toss them and fade into the bushes like Homer Simpson. Uh, and also with us, one of our specialists you that we don't get to talk to as often, but uh, we're glad you're back, Nicole Drum from our DC. I mean, I try to categorize everybody's like expertise here, <laughs> um, even though people know a lot about a lot. Uh, you are one of our elite DC team members, especially DC uh, movie or TV front. But today we're recruiting you because we're going to be talking about some another big development in the DC movie front, which is we got to talk about Jared Leto's Joker is making a comeback. He didn't think you would hear that in 2020 or at this point, maybe you did. We've also got to talk about a big kind of Marvel spoiler that dropped in a very nonchalant kind of way. First look at our uh, Uncharted movie with Mark Wahlberg and more importantly at Tom Holland as Nathan Drake. So we're going to talk about that. We've got to say RIP to the first casualty of the streaming war. And we're going to deep dive into comics today. We got a preview of WWE's Hell in a Cell. And because we love you guys and want to give you more of a little bit of the flavor of everything that we do here at comicbook.com, we've created a new section to the show, which is the rundown. We've basically taken all Matt's wish list stuff, plus all the random stuff I throw in and put it in one place. So uh, at the end of the show, we give you kind of just quick hits about, you know, a lot of other things that are going around around the geek sphere, whether it's about anime or other wrestling stuff, Power Rangers stuff, gaming uh, but that's just going to be kind of the quick hits at the end so that we can actually focus the discussion on some of our more main topics that you guys love, but still cover all the things we got to cover. So we're going to give you guys our first rundown and see if that's not a train wreck or if Matt's even here for that. So this will be interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's start up at top from one problem at a time. And first problem for some people is the fact that Jared Leto's Joker is making a comeback in an announcement that uh, nobody really <laughs> expected yesterday. We got word, we've been hearing that uh, it's been established that Zack Snyder's, this is all in relation to Zack Snyder's Justice League or the Snyder Cut, which we've now, you know, firmly established is an entire production that did not exist before, uh, that is now being invested and built in, and they're even bringing back actors from the Snyderverse to reprise their DC roles and shoot new scenes and stuff for this Justice League essentially mini-series that we're getting on HBO Max next year. And one of those people is, drum roll, Jared Leto's Joker. You already know the punchline, so you know how that's going. So, yes, Jared Leto will suit back up again as Joker to uh, do the reshoots for Zack Snyder's Justice League. And 
it, it's already kind of spawning people to think that this could be another tie-in, that Leto could be finally getting his due, that this could not just be the end, as so many things we have questions about this Snyder Cut and what it's actually doing. This is kind of like a weird reset button for DC movies. And uh, people are already kind of speculating, like, this is going to set up more of Leto's performance. We'll get the David Ayer cut of Suicide Squad, maybe with extra Joker. I don't know. But um, how are you guys feeling about this? Who here was asking for this? Unfortunately, Janelle Wheeler's not on this show. Cause, Janelle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Janelle's you know, the only person who's been asking yeah, for it. She much. would be hard stumping for this. But, um, I, I mean, I'm curious. I was never a hater of, Le- of Leto's performance. I think his Joker did some – some kind of interesting things that I liked, but I thought like like so much of Suicide Squad, it was just muddled into this weird mess. And it was interesting to hear how, how some other scenes kind of played out in Ayer's kind of darker, twisted version with this Joker who was kind of more of a mind screwer, like that whole scene with Common in the club and Harley Quinn. Like originally, if you read the original scene, like he actually talks that guy into killing himself basically out of fear of Joker and like it's it's really a little bit more twisted so I'm now kind of like so many things with a Snyder Cut I'm morbidly curious like what's going to happen and when you try to revisit the past and remake a movie um but yeah I didn't think I'd be hearing this one again and it man I was really hoping we were just going to get like an announcement of a new Joker for the Batman which could still be coming but this is just one more thing maybe this is kind of a therapeutic closure for a lot of these people who started down this Zack Snyder train. So maybe Leto needs this. I don't know. Matt, you look thrilled about all of this. <laughs> I, uh, I thought I was done writing about this. I thought I was done. Like I, I was so happy to be done with the rats and the boxes and the, it's so crazy. It could have four movies on its own. Like I'm so done with like the bloviated, that whole like this whole Snyder era of like everything's so big and epic. I'm done. I just I just I didn't need this. Um, I had already kind of put that to bed. There was so much hype going into the movie that like Joker was gonna like be so different and revolutionize. And then he's like in five minutes of the movie, and it was so kind of underwhelming. And I liked his take, kind of what's there. It's interesting. But I'm like I'm done. I didn't I didn't need this. So like for this one to come out, I was already like not thrilled, and now I'm just like oh, whatever. Let's <laughs> just let's just let's just do this thing, get it all done, whatever nine hour epic it's gonna be, and then move on to other things because I'm just kind of over it. I think so, I mean I think it matters how I mean I'm still trying to wrap my head around how he will factor in. There are interesting ways to do this. I mean. There's still the whole Robin suit from Batman v Superman with the Joker implication. They've already done flashbacks. We know they love some flashbacks in these. So I'm kind of interested to how they're going to use it. But uh, Connor and Nicole, what do you guys think? I personally feel like Leto's Joker is so totally different than everything that Snyder has done that it's just going to be jarring. And I have no idea how they're going to play that out without it actually being a different version of Leto's Joker. And for me, that's what it comes down to. It's like, I don't know that we need to see Leto cosplaying as his own Joker again. I'm just, you're right. There's absolutely ways to do it story-wise. I just feel totally it's going to be weird. And I didn't ask for this. This was not on my bingo card. I I got three things. (laughs) Number one, 
Leto was in the original Suicide Squad so little that when people do their Joker rankings, I give him a little DNQ, as in did not qualify. He did not have enough time <laughs> to justify being on a Joker rankings. You, you want to try and dig into what his character was? What character? He's in and he's out and it's gone. There's nothing to talk about. Uh, number two. As far as what he actually does in the movie, I could see it being as quick as he's on the boat with Luthor and Deathstroke like the original Justice League ended. And we get that little Brotherhood of Evil tease that never happens. Number three, I feel bad for DC fans who didn't care for the Snyderverse era, but saw hope in things like Aquaman being this dumb, fun action movie, in Wonder Woman being a pretty genuinely good movie in Shazam having its own tone and being a fun movie. The, the universe was obviously changing and going in a new direction. Unfortunately, it now has this anchor around its neck in the, and the words on that anchor read 2016 because everything that happened that year refuses to die. We have to relive this whole thing with the Snyderverse, with, with the Snyder cut, with the, whatever we want to call what, we actually saw a suicide, as Suicide Squad. It was a wreck. I feel bad for the fans. They're like, I'm so ready for this to change, but some people who are really complaining about a Snyder cut are have started the domino effect to where we are now, where the DC universe wants to move forward, and at the same time, it can't. Yep, that sucks. I agree with that. I absolutely agree with that. Silver lining: the DC multiverse is moving ahead just fine. <laughs> <laughs> sure. This is just one. one this is just one reality. You guys don't shouldn't stress that much. This is just but one reality. No, but um, in all seriousness, this is not a hill I'm going to die on. Not the Jared Leto Joker hill. So I'm trying to play devil's advocate, but I'm, I didn't ask for this either, and I'm not going to stump for it too hard. Um, Devil don't need no advocate. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not with you. I, I definitely want to see the Snyder cut, and I'm kind of curious about how it may reset. And it, I don't think these things are mutually exclusive. I don't think. Zack Snyder finishing us up and kind of using this as the established canon to launch what happened in Aquaman, what happened in Wonder Woman, and whatever is going to happen from here on out it is a bad thing. I mean, at this point, we're just playing fast and loose, but uh, we'll see. I mean, I mean, maybe, who knows? Maybe Jared Leto will do something that redeems his Joker and, and gets him past Connor's DNQ. We'll see when that happens. Let's move on from DC to the Marvel side of the fence. So, we're talking about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We're all wondering when we're actually going to get to see this uh, Marvel Disney Plus series. But there was kind of a reveal that was made, of, as always, in the merchandising front. So we got some miniatures. Uh, we got some miniatures in this, and those miniatures happen to spoil an aspect of the show that isn't like a game ending or game, like a deal-breaking spoiler but it did confirm a detail that I think will be interesting for the angle of the show. So we're going to take a break. And when we come back, if you want to hear that, you can hear what this big Falcon and the Winter Soldier reveal was. Stay tuned. All right. So if you're still here and you want to know what happened with Falcon and the Winter Soldier is we got some, uh, Mini Mates play sets uh, that were released. And these little toy figurines had, uh, they come in two sets in two boxes that we saw that were, Fal one was Falcon with Baron Zemo. 
And of course, Baron Zemo has his little purple mask on and everything, just like the comics. So cool. Yep. And the other one was uh, Winter Soldier in his uh, new kind of look. But also, Captain America was packaged with Winter Soldier. And you're like, huh? But not just any Captain America, but John L. Walker is clearly marked as the Captain America, who is uh, Wyatt Russell, uh, who plays, uh, is going to be playing John Walker in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, who many people know as U.S. Agent from Marvel Comics. But what this kind of did was kind of confirm that at some point in the show, and I'm presuming, I mean, I think we're all presuming like towards the start of this based on the trailer we saw and the whole thing, like the government, it won't be left up to Sam Wilson and Bucky Barnes to who inherits the Captain America mantle. The government will make the decision to produce their own Captain America, uh, who will be uh, John Walker, who again is played by the actor Wyatt Russell. So this confirms that yes, uh, John Walker will be Captain America, which is also another kind of echo of the comics from a time where he tried to fill in, but of course he was too nuts and you know, he couldn't handle that job. So by the end of this, we would maybe expect him to become somebody like us agent, but uh, yeah, this will be an interesting starting point because there's a lot of things we've speculated on the show that could be going on with John Walker. I think it was even Connor who dropped. Was it you who said he could end up being like a Russian agent? I don't recall, but I'll take the credit. Yeah, I don't know. I forget. Yeah. We've been doing these shows, but I, I believe you said we were talking about themes that can love the relate. honesty. Yeah, we could themes that would relate to like real world stuff, and we were trying to say how interesting it'd be if like the government picked this person they thought would be this awesome mantle of Captain America, and he turned out to be like a crazy Russian uh, double agent. But anyway, so that was kind of cool. What did you guys think about that? Matt, as our Marvel Comics kind of uh, gatekeeper, you cool with this? I'm cool with this. I think it's, uh, I was wondering kind of before, like they just did the broad, hey, here's what they're going to do. It's going to be a buddy movie and a road trip type thing. And I was like, how are you going to make that work for however many episodes? I mean, I get a couple, but like there has to be a driving force. And we all kind of thought, okay, well, this is one way they can go with the whole US agent thing. And having that confirmed is cool. Like it actually makes me look forward to the series more. Um than I was. I mean, I was already excited about it. Uh, I think it's, I think it's smart. You establish another, you know, Walker's kind of like this weird kind of, he's been used as a villain sometimes and he's been used as a hero. Sometimes he's kind of this weird anti-hero. It's a cool wild card in the Marvel universe that you can use in a lot of different places later on. So I think it's cool that they're going to set it up. I just can't wait for the captain for the Falcon Captain America costume reveal. Because I love that suit in the comics. It's so ridiculous and like bright and it's, it's, I love it with the wings and everything. Like it's such, it's such a cool costume. I cannot wait for that. And what I imagine will be like the second to last or very last episode is probably when we'll get it. Um, I am curious as to like the shield, like, because we see Sam with the shield, like at the end of Endgame. So like, how does the government get the shield? Like, you just give it to them? Like, do they steal it? Well, I think that's a Walker thing. new shield. Like there's interesting things here. I like it. I think it'll have a lot to do with, I mean, wh- who is Sam Wilson? I mean, kind of, that's the interesting part for me um, because he is like a loyal soldier type. Um, but like what happens when things start getting crazy, <laughs> you know, that aspect of his life and you start real. Yeah. And so like, you might have to change it up. So, and him kind of like walking across the line with somebody like Bucky Barnes is actually like, what I think will be the more interesting core dynamic of their kind of buddy cop dynamic is like, it's kind of like Murtaugh and Riggs, right? Like 
Bucky's obviously Riggs and, and, you know, he's Murtaugh and they have that dynamic, like one's willing to cross the line where it was one's more kind of like disciplined and regimented and, you know, but what happens when they have to kind of get in the dial on the dirty world of spy. So the irony, I'm, I'm good. The irony yeah. being that winter soldier is the one that's too old for this. Yeah. <laughs> good one. <laughs> A plus. So yeah, I mean, um, yeah, more and more, I really do want to see what's going on in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It seems like it's going to be a good ride. Uh, anybody else want to weigh in on this before we move on? Yeah. All right. Okay. Let's move on from that to uh, gaming slash movies. We got our first look at uh, Uncharted's version of Tom Holland as Nathan Drake. The internet's having kind of fun with this right now. So. Uh, Let's just hear it. You got to go on comicbook.com uh, gaming to see the actual photo. Or, you know, I'm sure you'll see it everywhere by now. But yeah. I'm hearing my voice. So what do you all think? Let's hear it. I know I had, there's a bunch of Uncharted had, fans on here. I had to laugh because poor Tom Holland has a blessing and a curse. He will look like he is 20 years old forever. Yes. yes. So yes. even though the, the look is almost there, he just looks too young and baby-faced. And he looks like he's about to turn to Mr. Stark and be like, Mr. Stark, can I go hunt for treasure? Okay, kid. Oh. So, so here's the thing. I'm actually more... I didn't like the skewing a little younger for Nathan. Uh, like, as a big fan of these games, like, I wanted someone, you know, who was a little bit older to be that. I will give it credit, though. This photo's really good. And he looks spot on. Like, they, they actually did a really good job. I mean, you can't help the age thing, but, like, he looks, aside from the stupid get get over the tucked, untucked shirt. Like, come on. Oh, who cares about I, that? I, I can't stand it. Like, that's a, that ends up being, like, a hashtag. Like, get, get a – I mean, look, I am all about finer details, but that's ridiculous. Like, I hate that stuff. So, anyway, that aside, the one I'm actually worried about is Sully. Because oh, I have Mark Wahlberg and yes, yeah. and I have no idea how that's gonna work. <laughs> <It's really laughs> Holland, I knew they would do a good job, and he'll be good in the movie. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? He might be a little too Spider Man y for my taste, you know, but I do love that Nolan North is on set, so that's great. Um, but like, yeah, I got that's the one I'm really worried about. This one, I was pleasantly surprised. I thought he looked pretty you mean good. you're not ready to hunt for some treasure? Get down in there. I'm not going down in there. You go down in there. I think we just found a new temple. And come on, you're not going to like Mark Wahlberg, Sully. Come on. <laughs> no, I'm not. I, I can almost tell you I'm not. But I am morbidly curious. All right. Uh, anybody else want to weigh in? I mean, you really just got to kind of go in and look at it and weigh in on yourself. But I, I mean, uh, I mean, they've taken this Nathan Drake interpretation in a different direction. This is a younger Nathan Drake, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, look, if you want a really spot-on, uh, I think, version of Uncharted, just go watch the Nathan Fillion film, yeah. right? Because <laughs> that is him. Yeah. That is Nathan Drake. That is the Uncharted. That Actually, it seemed like the director before this wanted, and then things shifted, so we'll see. Yeah, yeah. It is what it is. I mean, I'm, I'm split. I mean, and they know they have you in this vice grip because they know your affections are split. On the one hand, I love Tom Holland. You know, I have some Tom Holland a lot. So I don't want to say anything bad about the kid because I love him. And I know he has great charisma and he'll be entertaining. But, you know, stills are still images are still images. And that's all I can judge. Right. So, yeah. 
I'm going to move on. Sometimes mama said not to say anything at all. Real quick, let's give an RIP to Quibi. Mm. RIP Quibi. Quibi's dead, y'all. Like 2020 got another. Uh, Quibi is done. We were here. This was hilarious. This was like a Simpsons skit. Because we heard like, oh, man, there were rumblings like, Quibi could be going through some major reorganization. There are, the board is meeting. Everybody's get it. Quibi's dead. <laughs> yeah, I know. I felt like I read that the same article. It was literally yeah, yeah. like started, well, things are, you know, they're looking dire. And then like by the end of it, it was like, it's gone. And I was like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> How's that hey, the meeting started and was over in 10 minutes. Hey, Quibi died as it lived. Quibi died as it lived. It was all over in 10 Boy, those jokes are all over the internet. Yeah, oh, I know. Yeah. It's so good. I've been making Quibi jokes nonstop. <laughs> um, so I didn't want to do this because we've knocked Quibi. And the sad secret is I was actually seeing commercials. Their last commercial blitz actually got to me, like on TV. I was seeing things for like Boyd Holbrook and The Fugitive. And that Dane, um, that not Dane Cook, but uh, what's his name from Spy- Amazing Spider-Man 2? Dane DeHaan. Dane DeHaan show that was like where he was the crazy dude stalking the chick and like I was like seeing these things that were like these are actually interesting content like I actually would watch these as shows and like I might have to sign up for Quibi and I thought I was going nuts literally I'm glad I forgot about it for a minute like everybody else and now I don't have to waste that money but um yeah I mean they actually had good content in production it's the only reason I brought this in today to talk about is not to knock Quibi but to ask you do you think it was a pandemic? Do you think Quibi's fate would have been different if we weren't going through COVID and everything? And if you're not familiar, Quibi was designed to be this weird kind of, um, this kind of theory that people only had less time to kind of absorb content than like, you know, your half an hour shows or stuff. So yeah. they would offer basically a movie cut up into 10 minute segments. And that was like a season. Which by the way is true. Because people play their DSs, people play their mobile like phones and games all the time on the train or on commutes and whatever, and it's excel like that's why Nintendo's excelled because they keep making things that like you could pop in and out of really quickly. And like the theory makes, I feel yes, I feel undoubtedly. I don't know if Quibi would have succeeded or become, you know, uh, what peacock is becoming or the new netflix or anything like that but i do think it would have lasted longer than this and i and i think that's just simply because kind of like the xfl when the xfl hit and just hit at the terrible wrong time unfortunately there's no rock coming to like buy this one i don't think i don't think anyone's gonna buy quibi and try and redo it later i I think it was just a yeah yeah, not now i think it was an unfortunate it was an unfortunate timing thing and I think it would have lasted longer. I agree with that. I think the pandemic had a significant detrimental impact on it because again, it's designed for those short periods of time. The flip side of that is though, is I, I actually, I didn't, I didn't subscribe to Quibi, but I got to watch some of the programming for like different reviews and things. And there was like um, the series Don't Look Deeper was really good. But one of the things that struck me is like the way some of the content was chopped up in that 10 minute things like you're not really going to be watching it for 10 minutes you're going to just sit and watch back to back to back which kind of defeated the purpose i felt like so i felt like the concept itself was solid the execution was a little lacking and then you had the pandemic on top of it i think if there hadn't been a pandemic and there had been a little more time for them to kind of work out that programming kinks situation it would have lasted longer and probably could have developed into something better 
But I think a combination of, oh, we're going to chop up this one big thing into little bites, coupled with the pandemic, is kind of what killed it. Because there's, again, there's some great program, there's some great concepts. But the way they broke down, you weren't going to just watch it in a quick bite. You were going to watch 10 minutes and be like, well, I can take another 10 minutes. I can take another 10 minutes. I can take another 10 minutes. And you were going to consume it like a full thing. That, that's how I did it. Yeah, it needed to be more like a comic book where it does a cliffhanger at the end of yes. each thing and sets up, teases a next episode other than just being like, oh, well, they stopped right after that. That's weird. Can Do I? <laughs> is there more? Like, it always felt like you were trying to just complete what was there as mm-hmm. opposed to, like, getting genuinely teased and invested in the next thing. There, there was no hook. So, There's yeah. a couple caveats to this. Um, some people are arguing that at least being at home would have at least allowed people to do more quibbying theoretically um, because even if they weren't on a commute, they have nothing to do but discover new content and sit around and do it. And that still wasn't an incentive. The other thing I always worried, like kind of wondered about was it felt like Quibi was always a risk because it, it was just getting out of the gate with this concept and establishing yourself as a quality programming block. Because if this had taken hold, what would have stopped like Hulu, Netflix, everybody else from just being like, oh, guess what we just added? Netflix, mini-sodes. You want those? Great. Right. Yeah. Like, like, or yeah, it wasn't exactly like, future-proof. Hey, you know yeah. all those office people who aren't stars? We're bringing them back. You want 10-minute segments of like Creed going to pick up something weird in Scranton? Here we go. Like, boom. Like, you know, mini-sodes. So, um, I don't know. Uh I mean, I would like to see somebody try the concept that Quibi started, you know, maybe Netflix, like I said, many studs for my commute and stuff once we get back up into that lifestyle. But uh, for now, let's just say another person. And unfortunately, there's been so much death in 2020, we probably won't remember you for very long, Quibi. I'm sorry. R.I.P. Quibs. All right, moving right along to our deep dive today. Let's talk about comics. So we have a couple comics to break down. Uh, I got two out of four of these. I got Batman. Hey, so did I. So did I. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh. I got Batman and 10 of swords and well, 10 of swords was two books. So I got two, but, um, okay. yeah, I got Batman and Spider-Man. Okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> so, there you go. Nicole, what'd you get? Um, I was a big fan of Batman and actually Harley Quinn. Oh, oh and Harley Quinn. Yes. I, of oh, course. Okay. So that, we, that's the big us- one I want to talk about. The point is, between all of us, we got our homework all done. That's good. <laughs> all right. So let's talk. We can all talk Batman at first, because since we, that seems to be the one we can all converge on. Um, Batman 101 was basically the aftermath of Joker War. And this, the entire Joker War of summing up the point Thank of you. Joker War and making it like actually yes. relevant and being like, yeah. Oh, okay. Like I'm interested in this now. Like I'm back in because we did an extensive breakdown of Joker War during its run, and I don't think I made it any secret that my big complaint about this crossover was that it it just didn't feel like it felt like the grandeur it was going for wasn't there, and it did a lot of time just trying to explain to us why it was awesome versus kind of showing us. For showing us any epic point in this. Batman, having Batman just kind of that, in this case, Joker was right. And Joker's big point that he's been wrong about how he's been approaching Batman, this whole Batman theory. He's been wrong about Gotham City and like what it is and what it needs and all this stuff. And maybe not, he, we shouldn't be going with the Joker's vision of, of what that should be, but Batman does have to kind of 
rethink that whole kind of operation. So this episode, this episode, I almost said, so this, this chapter of the comic is basically him. It's basically just one long conversation between him and Catwoman and which is kind of, I very felt was like very Tom Kingish. But of course we get these other scenes that are flashback, which is also very Tinian, which is flashback to like, Oh, but a week ago. And you know, him kind of having another long conversation with Lucius Fox about basically what the future of Batman would be. And to sum this all up, the new theory is what kind of Joker war works out in this weird kind of middle grounding way that it, it, it kind of settled itself is that now there is a Gotham where, and this is kind of a clever social metaphor, where there has been this wave of truly insane people who put on clown masks and were terrorizing the streets who have now just faded back into society. Uh, so you don't know what kind of society you're sitting on. There's all this suspicion around Batman and Bruce Wayne and the Wayne fortune and all this stuff. And basically to kind of protect his identity and protect the company, he has to make a decision about what to do because the board's kind of basically voted him out after, after this whole debacle. And he can basically kind of take the money or fight it and, and what to do about it. And the resolution is that he is going to have to be what we call, I guess, nicknaming lo-fi Batman, um, which is basically Batman without the budget now. Uh, he has got to get back to self-sufficiency in a, in a way that Bruce Wayne has not necessarily ever had to be probably since he ever, you know, tried to play criminal in on his little Batman training mission. Um, but yeah, he won't have all the resources that he used to have. And he's going to still try to have to do this Batman mission of his without all this power, money and influence. And that was my main takeaway of this. And that's the kind of kernel that I thought was in a Gotham city where again, we are very uncertain about who is who now and what yeah. is what. And you know, because of all this madness that the Joker allowed to unleash that has appeared to go back in the box, but is not really back in the box at all. Well, that was the whole point, right? Like that was the whole, when, when the premise for Joker Ward came out and like those interviews kept coming out, the central theme was we want to get Batman back to a place where it's not about the newest toy. And ironically, to do that, it felt like we got an, influx and i feel like uh, that was to make yeah and that was to make a point i feel like retro like looking back it was to make a point that like hey we're gonna throw a bat train and we're gonna throw a bat drone and we're gonna throw all these things at you because he now relies on these things more than just like in this issue where they're talking about being close to the city the heartbeat of the city right so he's gonna move to like a brownstone that he didn't even know he had to be that rich is nuts. But anyway, whatever. So <laughs> that's a whole separate thing. Uh, but to like a brownstone he never had, he's going to be living in the city and not way out there. Right. And so like Lucius makes a great point of like, you can't 3d print any more cars. Like if the Batmobile dies, you have to fix it. Like yep. there is, there are these things. The one of the best parts is actually the Lucius Wayne stuff, because like, you know, Tynan always like, that's actually like some of the best things in like, uh, somebody's uh something's killing the children are when like it's just two people having like a really weighty conversation like he's actually very good at that back and forth and that's why like some of this stuff and the stuff with Catwoman and him is actually some of the best stuff in here but I agree I think like this one book I could hand this book to somebody and go this is what Joker War was about and they don't need to read any of the other stuff because <laughs> it was all to get here and we went such a long 
weird way to get here. And uh, But I like this. Like, I like the point. So it's weird. It's like liking what I'm seeing and liking how we, and liking where we got to without necessarily liking how we got here. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm excited for, for that. I think the one year thing is interesting. Oh yeah. Um, That's the point. They yeah. kind of suspend <laughs> in a way to, I don't want to start any DC beef, but to kind of spike Tom King without spiking Tom King, they basically sidestep the entire Batman Catwoman relationship question yep. by giving them a one year hiatus, like Jenna Maroney on 30 rock or something. Some weird. It's also weird since there's a book coming in yeah. merely a few months that is like, hey, this is all about this guy. Anyway, yeah, but anyway, so Catwoman is going to give Batman some space to figure out his new Batman ways, and she's going to come back, and she has to clear her name um, because in order to solve the Jerker War, she basically made herself an enemy of the entire underworld, and so she's got to clear her name and pay back some money and clear, and they both got stuff they got to handle individually, and they're going to get back together in a year and see where they're at. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's that. Yeah. Well, I personally feel like, and I, I, I make no secret of this, I've not been the biggest fan of Tenet's run um, thus far because I always felt like he was playing someone else's game. Um, this issue is the first time I've really felt like his book is being unshackled from King's run on a lot of levels. It's like Joker War had to like clear things up to get to this point. And I'm excited about the prospect of this. feels like it might be more serious but less dark and gritty. And for me, that's the big thing, because everything about Batman in the last, and I have read so many issues at this point, because it's my thing, um, just has felt like this unbearable bleakness, like just bleak, 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 bleak all the time. And now that we're going to see Batman kind of digging into things, this issue really felt to me like there's a little bit of light at the end of this tunnel at long freaking last. And I'm really <laughs> curious to see where this goes, because we're going to be getting more into in theory, it looks like we're going to get to be seeing more of Batman as a detective again. We're going to see Batman yeah. doing Batman things rather than Batman with more money than God and a lot of grunting at things. And, you know, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, to be perfectly honest, for like the past thirty issues of Batman, we haven't been getting a Batman story. We've been getting Batman being sad and grunting at stuff while the villains, you know, run roughshod over anything. That's not a Batman story to me. And this Batman One One is the first time I felt like we've had a Batman story in a very long time. So I am very excited for where this goes. I felt like the book maybe was a little bit, you know, a lot of exposition, but it kind of needed to be. And it was a reminder that when you take time in away from having to be bogged down by like editorial constraint and you put him in those intimate conversations, that's where he shines. And he's actually getting to do something constructive with the characters. So I'm really hoping we see more of that. I really do. And I was excited. Yeah. This, got me, this got me excited about the title again. And I'm also way, all Nicole for that one-year break. By the way, Nicole has a very great article all about that on combo.com. <laughs> very good. A very good article about the hope thing. I always feel like there's a part of me that, I mean, some of the best Batman stories have been about the villains, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there have been so many great Batman stories that oh, absolutely. on the back burner. So that doesn't bother me, um, you know, as much just because I like... I like those stories because sometimes Batman oh, yeah. needs to be the straight man, constant grunter, brooding, whatever. And then everybody else gets to play kind of the crazy psychedelic parts. Um, but I agree. I feel like um, I be, this issue also made me not eye roll as much at the goat. Is it Ghostmaker? Jesus. Oh, Ghostmaker is the new yeah. vigilante that like wants to give Gotham a choice because 
because of the stuff Batman talks about in this issue of like, I need to be closer to the city. Um, I need to not be to the point where like the first thing I do is try and do it alone. Like he actually points out, like he got kind of rabbit eight miles us and like points out a bunch of his flaws before we can in that little sequence. So like, I'm interested to see now that this dude who has all the money and all the tech that Batman typically has is now going to roll into town and actually, actually pose a, not a necessary threat physically because Batman's still Batman, but a threat of like, people are going to see him as a more legitimate protector. And he has all the things that like Batman is used to having. So that'll be interesting to see that play out. I don't understand the cover to the preview though, which has, Ghostmaker versus Clown Hunter. It's a kid with a bat. It's a right? it's a kid with a bat and a mask. How's he gonna take out that dude? That makes no sense to me, boy. Yeah, I've got uh, no clue, but I'm excited. Qu- quick aside, uh, <laughs> Matt, you mentioned uh, good dialogue here in 101. Uh, if you if you want to get a better idea of this this author's like his writing style, check out his series Wind. It's ongoing right mm-hmm. now. I think it's Boom oh, Studios. The dialogue yeah. in that is really good. It's fantastic. It is absolutely fantastic. He's a really good writer. Like it, it's just, it's just like like Nicole said, and like and Wind is a perfect example. That Wind is a very like a fantasy book, but it mm-hmm. it it has a lot of these like really intimate exchanges, right? And that's it's the stuff beautiful. that does really well. Yeah, yeah. Really well. Like, and I've said it a thousand times, and I've said it once. You can tell he loves Batman. Like the love leaps off the page, but it's just been so held down. And then you get these little moments that just sing, and I'm hoping we get more of that as we get beyond Joker War, which just didn't do it. I just want to see slice of life Batman stuff, like Batman having to repair a spare tire with on his own, <laughs> having no way of like navigating a city or like how to do that and like what everyday people have to do in those situations. And Batman kid, having like, on cell phone. Yeah, Batman having to, get street, having to get like streetwise is gonna, that'd be like, I mean, but it'd be that'd hilarious. Be you could do, I would love that as a Christmas app, like a Christmas issue is the Batman like if the Batmobile literally lost a wheel and Batman had to like fix it and had like no idea it needed like a community of poor people to like help him show him how to change Batman calls AAA yeah but uh, <laughs> yeah I mean it's an interesting premise and seeing like what lo-fi Batman is is going to be interesting I also feel like it's going to bring Batman a little more in sync with what they're doing on the other media side because mm-hmm. this has been a notable characteristic of what they want to do with Robert Pattinson's Batman yeah. is Basically, Batman having to kind of fix it all and, and be do DIY, you know. Um, so we're gonna. I'm, I'm interested to see how this goes. So that was Batman. Uh, I'll run through Ten of Swords real quick. Uh, I think I was the only. Was I the only one who read those? I read it. Okay. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you had strong feelings. <laughs> well, no, I, 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 not thrilled. I have not been a big fan of this direction of X Men in general. That's just that's just all it is. I read that's it. All and fair. I, you know. It's just not my jam, but it's well-written, so, you know, yay. I, I have been a House of X fan. I've been half and half on Dawn of X, and, and some of the books are really strong, I think. Some of them, I mean, we've, we've been well-documented on this show where we stand. Um, this week, ironically, was one of the weaker weeks, I think, of Ten of Swords. Uh, the X-Men book is interesting because it gives you a lot more background on Apocalypse, the original Horsemen, what the deal is with that weird Gorgon mask and how that basically kind of uh, contains the dark, the dark will that controls Ameth, uh and, and its hordes is through the mask and a more about Apocalypse's wife and her sister. 
uh, Iska the Unbeaten and, and everything that they've done. And it kind of gives you – it lays down some major groundwork for what I'm sure are going to be later quote-unquote reveals in Ten of Swords about, you know, where Apocalypse's wife stands and all this and, and all of that stuff. But one of the things I do like about House of X and continuing into Ten of Swords is how it is kind of reframing Apocalypse and the X-Men universe. I'm actually liking, I don't always like when they kind of anti-hero some people, but this is an interesting kind of anti-hero refitting for Apocalypse to reveal this kind of ancient history to him that he was like this major hero of the ancient world, had this entire, I mean, basically built an X-Men of ancient times and had this wife and stuff like that. And this issue does, Hickman kind of does a Jeff Johns in a way of rewriting the established kind of silly characteristics of this character, you know, his whole survival of the fittest, only the strongest survive. This issue pulls back to show you that this wasn't just Apocalypse's insane, like Nazi philosophy, but rather this was actually him. This was actually this weird noble duty that his wife told him before they went over to this other dimension in Araco and sealed the portal. Like they knew that one day they, this horde from Ammoth would, would try to invade the world again. And so it was Apocalypse's duty to prepare the world by basically killing off all the weak people and making sure everybody left was strong enough to stand against this coming, you know, apocalypse. And so that's what he's been doing this whole time. And so all of that's interesting. And it's all told to you as Apocalypse as they're trying to heal him from the injuries he suffered in Otherworld. And, you know, Apocalypse being Apocalypse, he, he has to do it the rough, tough way. And, you know, as he's nearly dying there on the table, he begins to kind of reflect back on all this. So, like I said, it's an interesting reframe of Apocalypse. And, of course, at the end, he gets his sword. And that's kind of like what that's all about. And, like, where his sword comes from and, like, the meaning of it and, and all that. So that's, that was actually interesting. Um, Excalibur. Uh, Excalibur was, for a minute, had me thinking it was going to be, like, climb out of the muck being the, now the next lowest rated X book probably next to, um, you know, Fallen Angels, which is done. But, um, yeah, they can't keep – I mean, they keep trying to make the Braddock family, like, some kind of interesting Marvel centerpiece, and it just ain't happening. Like, they're just not interesting. And this book is just all about the, the Braddock sibling drama, about who should be Captain Britain and who should wield the sword of might in the tournament. And basically, like, Jamie is crazy, but – uh. Brian and Betsy are kind of going at it and it's all about kind of establishing why, you know, it, it is another character piece. And I said with Ten of Swords, what I liked was the books that focused on the individual warriors and what they're going through and what they're bringing to the table to the fight. Well, this is the first book to let me down in that respect because yeah, yeah Betsy's going to fight a oh, great, but you know, it, it was kind of lame to figure out this whole process and faux drama about why. So spoiler alert, Excalibur still kind of stinks i'm sorry but i said it um, <laughs> jamie's like rolling in his bed somewhere what no i know right, jamie jamie love it stumps for it but that's why we're a great crew we all have the case all right uh matt maybe take us to spider-man i didn't get to read last rights but uh this that one could be really me. quick i'll that's just yeah. yeah i'll just make that really quick i mean this one only only reason i really mentioned it was because when we talked about it last time like one of the the biggest like highlights of the book was actually the Norman stuff, which ended up kind of being more interesting than I thought because, you know, it's him wrestling with like being free of 
all this sin, but like all the guilt still there and doesn't know how to deal with it. And now that we know that Harry is kindred, like this issue doesn't like this issue. It's not a recap, but it's, it's like Norman with like meeting with Dr. Kafka and like exploring how he feels. And it's, it's very much like a character study for that part. And then the other side of it is Spider-Man being like trying to stay alive essentially when uh, the order of the web has all been given those sins of all these uh, evil people. And so they're all attacking him. And it's this like, it felt very much like a classic, like nineties crossover Spider-Man comic. I mean, I, those were the comics that like got me to love the character. And it very much had that vibe. Uh, it's just all the quipping and like the, you know, Spider-Man can get a little melodramatic <laughs> sometimes, but like, I love that about the book. So, uh, but yeah, that stuff was really interesting, but Norman just like coming to terms with like a lot of things of like how he set Harry on this path, how they, they show a great moment where um, it's a flashback, but it's Norman in uh, prison, but he's in like the asylum. And uh, at the time Kindred came up to like his door and like, kind of tried to reach out a little bit like they're kind of vague about it but like he essentially like went to talk to him and it, knowing that it's harry now you know it, it's kind of interesting but like he says like it when i could have accepted him like i scoffed at him i taunted him and actually made fun of him and like got him to leave and all this other stuff it's really it's really interesting and then the biggest thing at the end is that mary jane is back in the picture which you know she's been kind of gone from this but like these uh spider-man lr issues are going to release um, their kind of side stories to the main books. So like Spider-Man, this one, he's he's in it about half. But in the future ones, he's not really going to be in it. He's not the star. It's the other supporting characters in those side stories. The LR issues are going to, there's going to be a couple of them. And if they're all like this, I might actually, like that might be a tie-in series worth checking out because they're supposed to factor in in a big way in the main series, like when it actually concludes. So like, that's the main series and it really is supposed to be like building this bigger pie. We'll see if they're all as interesting as this, but this was, there was if you were a fan of the Norman stuff from last issue, you should read this issue. So. All right. And uh, Harley Quinn, you guys want to take us just quick through that? And cause I like curse of the white Knight. I love this book. So and good. I love white Knight. Yes. So, so good. freaking good. I don't know. I don't know where Nicole stands on, the White Knight series in general. I love this series. Oh, I love like, it. I absolutely the, love okay, it. Okay, yes. Yeah. We're on oh, the same yes. page. For once, we're on the same page about a Batman-related-ish title. So, I yeah. know. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yes. So, um, for those who don't know, um, the White Knight series essentially is kind of like this alternate universe take on, on Batman and Joker, where Joker, it, it focuses a lot on Jack Napier, and Jack mm -hmm. Napier is, uh, in the previous series anyway, he's not really factor in this one at the moment but in the previous yeah, series exactly. it was always like him struggling with his joker identity and like they could actually pull napier out at different times and that's when you get like two harleys and like the harley quinn that is in this spinoff series uh is actually like the original harley there's now a, a neo harley but you know she's like a single mom is mm -hmm. raising two kids they are napier's kids right he's now uh he's now He's dead, right? He's he, dead. I, yeah, he's, he's dead. dead. He died. Yeah, like he's he dead. dead. He's very he died dead. Midway because he died in the last one. I, yeah, yeah. I couldn't remember if in curse he he died died, but yeah, Batman's in prison. 
And one of the coolest things uh, about this issue, like one, I love what they've done uh, with Duke uh, in this in this series in general. But uh, there's a whole conversation where like Harley goes to the prison and she goes to see Bruce and they have this really interesting kind of warm dynamic. Uh, they do a flashback, which is actually probably my least favorite part of the issue is the flashback with Jack at the very beginning. I don't know where you stood on that, Nicole. Um, it was it was fun, but it was yeah, it wasn't my favorite thing of the issue. It was it was fun, but it wasn't my favorite. Yeah, like the issue starts when they get to the present, and it's like her, it's just like the whole thing where she stabs the soldier. <laughs> I like laughed out loud at that because she steps on this little soldier. Oh my with god! A sword. As a mom, I and, identified with that so hard. <laughs> well, because it's like it's such a genuine moment because she steps on it <laughs> as like how like how I forget her line like how dare you and then later on you see her take like this big knife to the, to the little figure's head and it's just like that little crazy it's like that little yeah. bit of crazy but it's like relatable crazy yeah. um but yeah you see her like really start to talk and they need her help on this case that has popped up and so they're kind of trying to get her um to to kind of help the GTO and she's unsure because she doesn't she's very aware of like the line she walked what happened, what broke her. And she doesn't want to set that off again because she's got, while she can't stand them half the time, she has two kids to raise. She doesn't want to leave them and her babies, the hyenas. So like, it's just a really interesting character study. Like this Harley Quinn is so good. There's just so many layers to her. And then so when you actually relatable. see her, yes. Yeah. And then you she's see her do so the detective relatable. work and you're like, oh, this is awesome. Cause it's like bad. Like it's, it's awesome. I'm trying not to cuss. It's awesome. <laughs> detective Harley Quinn. Yeah. It's so cool. It's such a it's such a relatable take on the character too. Like I mean, again, you know, everybody brings kind of their own experiences to comics in general. But in this case, it's just like I'm reading her, especially with the the, the whole like I'm a terrible mom. Like I'm just counting up time to nap time. I'm like, holy crap! Like I get this, I feel this, and it's so great because you see all these different facets of her that you don't usually get to see. And so it was just such a fantastic book from start to finish. I'm so interested to where this goes because we probably get to see she's. She's being the detective. She's kind of being the big thing. And it's interesting to see her fight with all the things that are inside of her. It's so human. We don't actually get to see her be human very often. And this was just absolutely brilliant. It's it's a great book. The whole the whole thing is great, but this is a very good yeah. book. And without Sean Murphy doing the art, I was like, because that art is beautiful in all the other books. And mm -hmm. so, um, and I'm gonna, I'm I don't wanna mess up the names. I'm not gonna say the name, but uh, you can check out our review on combo.com has all uh, the credits. But uh, this art is a different artist, but it is stunning. Like all throughout it, it keeps the same vibe. Um, definitely much the same, the same vibe from the other books. Um, Hollingsworth even colors the cover and Murphy does the cover uh, as well. But seriously, like, if you, if you've been interested in this series, and honestly, you don't even really need to read the other ones if you just want to start clean. Like, it actually does a decent job of establishing things in the first few pages. Um, you could just start with this, but yeah, more than in. recommend. All right. That'll do it for comics. We are going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about WWE, Hell in a Cell, plus some other stuff in wrestling, and give you a quick look at our rundown section about little things we want to mention so you guys are aware of. So stay tuned for all of that. All right, Connor, take it away. Why don't you give us a quick rundown about what's going on in wrestling? Well, I can't use that term now. Why don't you give us a quick explanation of what's going on in wrestling and what we should be looking to in WWE's Hell in a Cell? 
Well, there's so much we could talk about with wrestling. We've got Chris Jericho and MJF dancing to Frank Sinatra. We've got NFL punters returning at the end of NXT. We've got WWE venues being investigated for possibly being COVID-19 spreading locations. But we're not going to talk about any of that. We're going to talk about <laughs> Hell in a Cell, Matthew. <laughs> I told you that story. Tell you this one. <laughs> we're not talking about any of that. No, that's important. What is important is that there's going to be three matches this Sunday inside of a giant red cage known as Hell in a Cell. Now, they've only announced four shows, four matches for this show, but three of them we know are Hell in a Cell matches, and they all could be somewhere between good and great. We've got Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso. Jey is going to be absolutely decimated in this thing, but with the way Clash of Champions panned out, it was really entertaining. Curious to see what they do. We've got Drew McIntyre versus Randy Orton in the end of their trilogy. I'm ready for it to be done. I know just about everybody else is ready for it to be done. I'm hoping they don't give it to Randy because I know what that leads to, and that just doesn't do favors for anybody. So hoping Drew retains, and then he gets to play with all these new toys that are on Raw, or at least gives Keith Lee some love because the poor guy could really use it right now. Yeah, for real. And then yeah, there's best then, match of the night then there's sasha banks versus bailey a match that you can trace the storyline back five years yep. you can trace this specific one back at least 18 months give or take if not longer yeah but the the wheels are finally in motion for this to have for this climactic match after what we thought was going to be their first match at the WWE draft was quickly done away with because Bailey just wanted to run away. But Matt, I have a bit of a hot take on this one. I know I, your hot take. I, don't I know. <laughs> I know <laughs> this match will be great because look who's involved and look what type of match it is. That's a given. But the actual storytelling they've been doing for the past couple of weeks has been lacking. Bailey coming out there and being like, look, all I did was beat you to the punch on who was going to betray who. So if you're thinking I'm some sort of bad guy here, you're wrong. And you, so you would think Sasha would come back and be like, no, you're wrong. You're full of crap. I'm going to prove that I made a monster out of you and I need to take it down finally. But she's not really doing that. Instead, she's acting like she did for the last year or so, just being like, look, my name is bigger than your title. So, and you were going to be nothing after I beat you. And it's like, wait, so you're still just a bully. It, it, no, it's she's like, not a bully. It's she's like, her. No, it, it's like this. It's like if the two high school bullies decided to fight each other. We're not suddenly friends with one of them. No, but you're going to side with one of them. And that's Am what I? they're doing here. Because yeah, I'm not at this, at this point, oh, I'm no, you're going to side with one. You're going to side with one. I'm siding with Bailey. Um, okay, okay, one. You're really? Now yes. you side. I've been telling you how good Bailey is for how long, and you I, now side with her when she's the bad I guy. I okay. switched sides over the summer when she and Oscar were tearing down the house. Best I heels. love those movies. Best heels. One of the best heels in the business. Um, I, I don't think it's that. I think, one, I'm actually kind of happy because uh, I'm not an idiot. And so when I watch WWE sometimes, they challenge me to like, they challenge like my level of intelligence sometimes with like the giant swerves the characters make from week to week. It's like all of a sudden this person is just like altruistic and noble. And the next week this person's like down in the trash, just like killing everybody. I, right. it, it varies so much. So with Sasha, 
I don't want them to just all of a sudden pull her all the way the other way. This is in keeping with her character for the past year. She's made points in the past that have like got me on her side. And when Bailey keeps attacking her like credibility and like her star power and things like that, it's very keeping in with Sasha's attitude to not go like, well, I will, I just wanted us from the beginning. She did that in an emotional promo, which was one of her best promos, by the way, like period. But we've done that. We don't need to keep harping on the emotional thing. We can go back to just being badass Sasha Banks. That's who she is. That's who she's always been. She's just doing it really good right now. She's doing it really well. I don't want that to change. I think it's good when they're left to just be kind of anti-hero. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with everything they do. You know I love those characters. And she's doing that. I don't need her to just be complete babyface. I'm okay with there being a little hard edge to it. She doesn't need to go all the way. I just feel like you could have told more of a story. And, and what do you mean more as, of a story? It's been 18 months, Connor. Let, let, me, let, me try, <laughs> well, let, me, let me let me try this one on you. Say Sasha got drafted to Raw during the draft. So her match with Bailey on that Friday was her last shot. She gets moved to Raw and Bailey goes, you can't challenge me for the title anymore because you're not on this brand. And then Sasha has to go, okay, the one shot I do against, get, have against you is at Survivor Series. So I'm going to build the team. And then she looks around at the Raw roster and goes, Who's with me on this? And they're all going to turn around and go, you were a monster to us. So, no, we're not going to side with you. Screw you. And then she has to recognize, hey, you know what? I was, and I can be better. I'm still going to be me. I'm still going to be the boss. But I can stop being I, – I can tone it back. I can pull it God, back. I, I can feel be like better. you are one of the five people that would like that storyline. And the, I'm not the, done. the reason is – And then well, she, okay, get, but then even she wins the Rumble, is, and then no. we get the match at Mania. Oh my God! The momentum is already there. It no. The that's momentum just got sped up because she's on the Mandalorian season two. WWE does that stuff all the time. What's new about that? What I'm saying is the momentum is already there. It's already there. Extending it by another month just to like okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. I'm just I'm thinking. You, you don't have to for... give me every detail in a in a WWE story. Not, no, like, no, you... I, I, just, <laughs> I just did. That that's the end. But no, I'm saying, no, not that. I'm saying like in a, to flesh out a character. Like, I don't need you. Like we get on comics writers sometimes because like they leave like critical character parts out of like a character progression. And it's like, sure, understandable because they have a lot of time and there's a general theory that you're going to get all of that arc in a book, right? Mm -hmm. But with like WWE storylines, I'm not looking for that same level of complexity. I just need you to make all the dots connect. And normally I'm not either. But this is a match that this is the storyline that has gone on for, as we've said, a very long time. I want I want the story to have a good conclusion. I don't want it to be like, yeah, we wait around forever, and the match was good, but don't actually look into the storyline because it they it fell apart at the end. That's what I don't want. That's why I'm asking. Now here is where we like where we probably differ though, because I don't think this is the last match. No, not at all. Stretch. I, so I hope not, because I don't like. Cause it wouldn't least, make any sense. So Hell in a Cell is usually the end of a feud, though. That's the thing. Like, that's but one the thing. that's dominated this long and for not even dominated this long, that took this long to build up, and one that has like been crushing on yeah. SmackDown. There's no way with the way WWE approaches feuds, there is no way they let this be a one and done. We're at least getting two more, <laughs> right? I mean, that's got to be assumed. Fair, Nicole. Any thoughts on this whole thing? Am I, I way off base? No, I agree with your takes completely on this. I'm sorry, Matt, but I do. I, 
I'm with F. Connor on all of this. <laughs> I'm Great. This. I'm glad I'm not crazy, but I'm, I'm not. And again, the match on Sunday is still going to be amazing. It's my pick for match of the night. There's no question there. I'm just, it's the little things that I'm hoping that they tweak, that they could, that I think they could do better and they're not. That's all. And wow. your face is unmoving. Uh, last thing. Uh, no, I'm right here. What? Oh, did I go away? Okay. No, you're just, right. you were just like, hmm. and I was just like, oh, oh no. Yeah, not... But uh, one other thing, Roman winning is kind of a guarantee. Where does he go next? I have the answer. People aren't going to like it. I, I'm not too crazy about it. It's Goldberg because they decided to put him in the Thunderdome audience last week to watch the uh, latest title match. And uh, that's my guess for the Survivor Series main event. So take that as you will. All right. That's wrestling. We're going to end the show today with a quick new segment. What I said, uh, it's called The Rundown. And it's basically where we just give you guys some quick mentions about some other things going on around the industry. Uh, Matt, let's go. We'll go with you first because you had a couple things in. So uh, just knock them out quick. Okay. Well, no, no pressure. Ah. Uh, so yeah, the biggest thing is actually, uh, Power Rangers. So this Saturday, this Saturday morning, uh, is the big team up crossover that brings back legendary Rangers. That will be great connection that happens on Nickelodeon, uh, on Saturday morning at like 8am. So, uh, Eastern time. So like Austin St. John is back. A bunch of old Rangers are back and it's been building uh, to this. And this is just like a big kind of anniversary shindig for that. So if you are a longtime Power Rangers fan, it does hit the heartstrings a little bit to see Austin St. John morph again. It is dope. (laughs) It is pretty cool. Um, And that's my, that's my Power Rangers take. Did I have something else? I don't have a layout in front of me. Wow, you're super prepared. You had comics. Well, my internet issues, I don't have the thing because my phone is being comics. the internet. <laughs> you had Batman 103, Batman 103, oh. Miss Marvel ending. Which we, t- okay, so we touched on Batman 103, so I'll skip that because that was the preview. But yes, I am very sad actually that Miss Marvel, uh, Mar- uh, the magnificent Miss Marvel, uh, is ending. However, the good news, I guess, if you want to look at it like uh, positive side, is that she is still very much a prominent figure in the Champions book. Uh, which actually started out really strong. So if you are looking for Miss Marvel, uh, you can definitely check out that series. But uh, I think it's going to end at issue 75, uh, which, is, which is pretty awesome that, you know, it, it ran for that long. And honestly, with Marvel, Marvel's calling certain books uh, that, you know, either aren't selling well or they have plans to relaunch later on, it won't be very much longer before we get like another Miss Marvel solo book. So I wouldn't be too bummed about that. All right, and uh, just on the anime front, I just want to shout out that uh, both Dragon Ball Super and Boruto have new chapters out, and these storylines have been pretty fire right now. There's a big things happening in both of those series, and uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy, so check that out. And Star Trek Discovery is still rolling on with episode two, and it's still looking good, so if and it got renewed for uh, season four already. Uh, yeah, so if you're into Star Trek Discovery, check that out on the excellent CBS All Access. So that's my quick rundown. And that'll do it for this episode of Comic Book Nation. We want to thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. We put up new episodes every Wednesday and Friday on comicbook.com. You can listen on the site or on your favorite podcast platform. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. You can tell any smart home device to fire up Comic Book Nation podcasts. Or you can also watch us live every Wednesday and Friday when episodes air on Facebook. If you miss it live, you can always catch it on the Comic Book Nation YouTube page. 
If you are into the show, want to make contact with us, drop topics, respond to anything, we are at the official uh, Comic Book Nation. Uh, oh, my God. We are at the official Comic Book Nation Twitter page. Or you can hit us up at the Comic Book Nation hashtag. And if you like the show, go on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. One day when we are back in our merch closet, we have a budget <laughs> growing number of T-shirts we are sending out to our five-star reviewers. So if you want one, just go ahead and drop a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Otherwise, that'll do it for this episode of Comic Book Nation. Again, we want to thank you guys for tuning in, staying connected, and just, uh, yeah, keeping us busy. And we'll see you again next time. Peace. Deuces. Later.